Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. So welcome to the second Sunday of Advent, where we continue to find ourselves again in that already and yet not space. We look both to the birth of Christ, who has already come, but we also look to a second coming when all things will be made new. Please pray with me. Lord, we long for you to come and be with us, to tabernacle with us. We thank you for your presence, even now in this fellowship, in scripture read, and later in bread and wine. Lord, I ask that you would be present now in my heart and in my words, and in the hearts and minds of all who listen. May your presence go out with us from here today. Amen. Um, So my name is Ashley Davis. Um, I am a deacon here at Church of the Redeemer. Um, I celebrate my fourth anniversary of being a deacon on Valentine's Day. Um, It's a very honorable day to get ordained. It's very, yeah, it's a great way to spend it. Um, And I am your um, pastoral care director. So if you have any needs, I'm your person, or I can direct you to the right person. And if you have the desire to serve others by helping with pastoral care, then we are starting a new Stephen Ministry cohort in January. So I'm plugging it here since I don't get the opportunity to very often. Um, So the Psalms are kind of a strange place to preach. Um, I used to be an English teacher, and it kind of feels like trying to teach poetry to 13-year-olds, the Psalms. So for many of them, poetry was boring. It was hard to understand. But for a few students, it was it unlocks something inside of them that short stories and novels couldn't reach. Um, the swirl of emotions of middle school kids, and those of you with middle schoolers know what I'm talking about. Um, poetry kind of was accessible to them in a way that a coming-of-age novel was not. So why are we bothering with reading or preaching on poetry and scripture? Um, so more than 30% of the Old Testament is poetry. And if you took all the poetry in the Old Testament and set it next to the New Testament, there would be more poetry in the Old Testament than the New Testament. Um, The Psalms capture emotions of faith and the mystery of God. And if that's not enough for you, remember that the Psalms are what Jesus spoke as he was dying on the cross. So let's look at Psalm 85, which we sang together. Um, And also, as Judson pointed out last week, um, this verb, shuv, is all over the place in the psalm too. So if you remember, the word shuv means to turn or to turn back, repent, relent, restore, refresh, bring back. So this idea of turning as a way of repenting is very important in scripture. We are asked to turn back to God and to turn away from our sin and wrong behavior, but it also is asking God to turn towards us. And God asks his people to turn back to him all throughout the Old Testament. So we see that especially with the prophets and with these psalms of restoration that we're preaching on during Advent. So I just want you to see how many times this word shuv is in the psalm. So I've capitalized, I've put it in bold for you. Um, And so I just want you to hold this idea of turning, restoration, and repentance 
as we walk through this psalm together. So I'm going to read through it since we sang it. Um, I think it's maybe easier to hear it that way. <clears throat> Let me get my old painting glasses. Lord, you have been gracious to your land. You have turned away the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the offense of your people and covered all their sins. You have taken away all your displeasure and turned yourself from your wrathful indignation. Restore us then, O God, our Savior, and let your anger cease from us. Will you be displeased at us forever? And will you stretch out your wrath from one generation to another? Will you not turn again and quicken us that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hearken to what the Lord God will say, for he shall speak peace unto his people and to his saints, that they turn not again. For his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall flourish out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord shall show goodness, and our land shall give its increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and he shall direct his going in the way. So let's look at this first section of the psalm, which emphasizes this idea of God turning his people back from captivity and turning his wrath away from them as well. We can guess a couple of different timelines based on this verse. Um, we could be looking at the time when God brought the Israelites back out of captivity in Babylon, um, which the Israelites saw as punishment for not obeying God's laws. It could be a reference to the Israelites in Egypt when God delivered them um, through Moses. It could just reference a time of famine or drought when the psalmist recalls how God was gracious to the land through rain. And so what I'm trying to get at here is that it doesn't really matter what the psalmist references because restoration and renewal is an ongoing act of God throughout history. Restoration and renewal is an ongoing act of God throughout history. We can read it in any number of ways. As I said, the restoration of the land of Canaan to the Israelites after slavery, bringing his people back from captivity in Babylon, restoring rain for plentiful harvest, the Maccabees revolt that cleansed the temple from pagan gods, which is what our Hebrew friends or our Jewish friends celebrate in Hanukkah. Um, the arrival of Jesus Christ, who fulfills all restoration and who completes restoration and whose complete restoration we await in his second coming. The beauty of a psalm like this, and indeed the beauty of God's word to us, is that it is eternal and has meaning for every generation. The psalmist says, look, you have delighted in us in the past. You have returned us and forgiven us in the past. And we know in our bones that you can do it again. Now, these next two verses explain what true and full forgiveness looks like. The Hebrew word for forgive literally means to carry. So God carries our sins, our guilt away, and then he covers them. So think of floodwaters here covering the land. It's the picture that this poem depicts. Not only are our sins carried away, but they are covered up like a flood covering the land. And lastly, God also turns, he shoves his wrath and anger away from us as well. These verses offer a full, complete picture of divine forgiveness 
and a foreshadowing of the one-time sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, which carried our sins away, blotted them out, and turned God's anger away from us. So this next section that begins, restore us then, O God, our Savior. You can see that bold shoe again. And let your anger cease from us. Will you be displeased with us forever? And will you stretch out your wrath from one generation to another? Will you not turn again and quicken us that your people may rejoice in you? The psalmist can cry out to God like this, how long, O Lord, because he knows God's character and faithfulness. I want you to take a moment and think about a time in your life where you were afraid, grieving, going through a loss or suffering. Can you relate to how the psalmist feels? I know that I have sat with many of you in this last year who have had these kinds of questions from suffering from disease, grieving the death of a loved one, a miscarriage, the loss of a job. And at the root of it is, how long, O Lord? And now I want you to remember a time of God's faithfulness, a time when God showed up in a way that reminded you of his goodness. Can you visualize it? Can you remember how you felt? How can you mark that moment of God's faithfulness to you? Do you share that story with others? Maybe you have a photo or a piece of art, a rock, or some kind of memorial to that moment. That is what these psalms are. They remind the people of God of the times when God was faithful, when he restored them, and when he gave them peace. We can cry out to the Lord and ask him, turn again and quicken us, because we can look to what he's done in the past and we can trust his mercy for the future. Let's look at this next section. It starts with yes. Um, and you'll notice that mercy is in blue, and I'll explain that in just a minute. Um, show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hearken to what the Lord God will say, for he shall speak peace unto his people and to his saints, that they turn not again. For his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. So before we jump into this section, I want to point out this word mercy. Um, it's from the Hebrew word chesed. And if you're going to pronounce it correctly, you have to have a little phlegm in the back of your throat. And it's often translated as mercy or kindness or compassion. But our English words don't really suffice. Um, so the best definition that I've been able to find is um, from Alec Motyer, who describes God's chesed or covenant love as combining the warmth of God's fellowship with the security of God's faithfulness. The psalmist appeals to this kind of mercy from God, a mercy that comes with security of God's love. And I love this phrase, he shall speak peace to his people. This image calls back to God's creative work in creation in Genesis. God spoke the world into existence. When he speaks peace, he calls peace into existence over his people. We also arrive at the main theme of this week, restore our peace. But translating the Hebrew word shalom as peace is a little anemic. It means so much more than it. Um, I think 
Some of you may remember J.D.'s sermon on peace as the fruit of the Spirit, where he talked about the full definition of shalom. It encompasses completeness, wholeness, prosperity, safety, welfare, health, tranquility. It points to God restoring the people and the land to wholeness and prosperity. The kind of shalom the psalmist is looking to is a completeness that keeps us from turning our backs. That you word again on the Lord. We're so complete and whole, there's no need for us to turn anywhere else than to the Lord. The writer also looks forward to the day of salvation when glory will dwell in the land. This glory of God that dwells in the land, that dwells with his people. This is the same root word for tabernacle that we celebrate with the birth of Jesus and when he comes again. God has longed to dwell with his people since creation. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He tabernacled with his people in the wilderness after he delivered them from Egypt. His glory filled the temple that Solomon built. And Jesus Christ, God himself, came to dwell with us. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. John 1, 9. We look to Christmas as we celebrate his incarnation, his dwelling among us as we await his coming again. And at the end of the book of Revelation, it says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. In this next section, we read, um, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall flourish out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord shall show goodness and our land shall give its increase. Righteousness shall go before him and he shall direct his going in the way. Only in poetry can you have the imagery of righteousness and peace kissing. Doesn't that capture the feeling of completeness and wholeness of shalom? The Psalm ends with this picture of what it looks like when the glory of the Lord dwells with his people. It's effortless. We act in ways of righteousness. Truth abounds and God pours out his chesed, his shalom, and his goodness. Even the land responds with fruitfulness. Amen? <laughs> yes, our farmers. <laughs> it's a beautiful symbiotic picture of a relationship with God and with others in perfect shalom. A picture of what restored peace looks like. This kind of peace is what we long for and we eagerly await this Christmas. And I know that as we talk about peace, it's hard not to think about war, especially the war in Gaza and the innocent civilians whose lives have been lost, both Israeli and Palestinian. And I think about Ukraine and the many refugees here and in Europe. And I think about Sudan, torn by war, and so many other places where there is no peace, no shalom. We cry out with the psalmist, will you be displeased forever? Restore our peace. Turn the hearts of people back to you and turn your heart back to us. Isn't this what Advent is all about? We are still in this space of the already and the not yet. When Jesus has come to give us light and life, yet we still are waiting for the fullness of his restoration. What about you and me right now, today? How can we restore peace? 
How can we bring shalom to the people around us? Well, in a few minutes, we will seek shalom and our relationship with God by repenting. We shuv, we turn our heart toward God and turn away from our own way, from our sin. And we ask for his hased, his mercy and forgiveness. So when you repent today, I want you to think about how you have chosen violence instead of peace in your relationship with God and with those closest to you. So let me explain this. So Kearns and Elizabeth and I were in Philadelphia and, um, and I woke up one morning and I was just really grumpy. I was not a pleasant person. I was snappy. And um, so how many of you have daughters or sisters? They don't let you get away with anything, do they? No. So, you know, I mentioned um, that I think Anna told me I was a hypocrite by age nine or 10. So she's right. I am a hypocrite. I'm in need of Jesus too. Um, And so I was talking to Elizabeth and I was like, yeah, I'm just in a really bad mood. And she said, you woke up and you chose violence. She's like, the first thing you said to me when you woke up was complain how how long dad took in the shower. It was true. And it's been explained to me, but maybe this is a TikTok reference. So, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit can use TikTok and a 16-year-old to convict a mom. But um, yeah, it kind of stabbed me in the heart a little bit. It was like, I had not chosen peace in my relationship with Kearns. I had chosen violence. I had chosen to tear down our relationship rather than build it up. It made me stop and ask myself, where am I sowing discord in my relationships with other people? Are you choosing peace in the relationships that are closest to you with the people who really know you? And isn't that the hardest place to show peace? How can you shoot? How can you turn toward God and his path and bring peace? and wholeness instead. So when we pass the peace after our confession of sin, we visibly express the peace we have together as a community. We make peace with God through repentance, and then we make peace with each other by passing the peace, which sometimes takes us a long time to do, right? You have to talk to everybody. Um, I also like how Tish Harrison Warren puts it in her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary. And in this practice each Sunday, this passing of the peace is a prayer. We are asking that God would do something we cannot, so that he can extend peace, not of our own making, but of Christ, our reconciler. It is when we shoo to the Lord, when we turn to him and repent, we can receive his peace. So I pray that as we confess our sins to be reconciled to God, greet one another, and come to this table where we celebrate the memorial of our reconciliation to the Father through Christ Jesus, and where the Lord himself is present to us, where he meets us and dwells with us, that you would be filled with shalom when you leave this table, and that you will take that peace, which passes all understanding, with you and out into the community around you. Please pray with me. This is um, St. Francis's prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. 
Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.